Hi everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. And this is The Dapper Meeple. This show is about our love of gaming, the games we play, and the gaming community around this passion. So pull up a chair, put on your Dapper Meeple hat, and join us at the table. Hey kids, remember, this is an adult podcast and may contain adult language. Also, Dapper Meeple hat, not required. On today's episode, we celebrate some wins for the little guys, and we're going to talk AI art controversies. And then we look at some kids' games to entertain the younger ones at your family gatherings. And then we'll bring you three projects in our crowdfunding roundup. All that and more on this episode of The Dapper Meeple. So you know something we haven't talked about in a while? Is Marvel Zombies. So we backed this campaign almost two years ago. It closed, what, February of 2022? We'll celebrate that with or without the minis. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets here soon. Yeah, we've got the the core box, right? Right, because we we paid for two-wave shipping. Right, right. Which especially hurt. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. This wasn't just buying a game. This was an investment. Uh, so we got the core box, which is cool because, I mean, I love playing Zombie Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Definitely like the, the gameplay, you know. we Then we got Galactus. So he have, showed up. Right? I have Galactus who usually sits in my living room on top of the bird cage because it annoys the bird. Yeah, it's got like, the Silver Surfer in there. Got a couple game modes with it. Right. So that's cool. So we're waiting on five other boxes. Uh, Yeah, give or take. Maybe a couple more. Because uh, I I know we bought everything. Right. So Right. We have the Kickstarter exclusives, which is all the cool minis that were included in the Kickstarter. We have the X-Men Resistance Core Box. Right. Which allows you to play as the heroes. We have the Guardians of the Galaxy set. We have the Hydra Resurrection. I think that's the name of it. There is um, the Sentinels box. And I know I'm probably missing a couple of them. But yeah. So the reason I bring it up. Because I was in my friendly local game store last week because I needed to pick something else up. And uh, they have a table in the entrance where it's like, hey, here's the new stuff that we've gotten in this week. And it was Marvel Zombies. And it had the X-Men uh, expansion. <laughs> and I was like, what the shit? Yeah, yeah. So I, I've heard this complaint and seen this complaint online uh, where a bunch of people are upset that the retailer pledges got shipped out first. Um, so that your friendly local game store probably has access to the same stuff that you could have or maybe backed on Kickstarter, um, but now weeks at least in advance. Right. So. Yeah, that was the only expansion that I saw. And like I said, there's a lot. And they didn't have a Galactus, so. Yeah, there's also that. Right. I'm playing it in my head, and I was like, okay, I get it. That's cool. Uh, but still, send my shit, man. Yeah, I we could we could talk about how this is, I like specifically a kickstarter problem that like happens all the time where shipping is kind of split up and there are ple- there are people around the world who have their zombicide uh unfortunately the east coast tends to be one of the furthest away from china therefore we are usually the last to get our shit right right and m- most board games today that i've seen most games that are on kickstarter especially their manufacturing is in China because they can do it affordably there. Yeah. And this game was one of the largest Kickstarters that come on has ever run. Had some of the largest backing had some of the most ambitious miniatures. I think I've ever seen from them. I say miniatures, but Galactus is like two and a half feet tall. So, I mean, he's still smaller than what real Galactus would be if we were in that universe. So yeah, sure. I'll call it that. (laughs) It's to scale. It's to scale. Um, but yeah, so I I understand there were a lot of challenges with this project, and I think they've done well for the most part. Yeah. I think we're just more salty that we haven't got it yet. Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. I was okay waiting when I wasn't thinking about it, but I walked in and saw that, and then I was just like... Yeah, I, I've resorted to watching videos on YouTube of people playing the new content. <laughs> <laughs> when it gets here, we'll have a good idea what we're doing. Yeah. So, all yeah, right. I'm over it. Just wanted to. I just wanted to complain. Thanks for listening. <laughs> And welcome to the episode. <laughs> Let's talk about some more controversy. Oh, yeah. 
this opening is going to be a little rough. Let's just buckle in, guys. Uh, so let's talk about something that uh, we brought up in, I think it was our last episode. There are board game cafes in New York that are petitioning or were petitioning to be in a union. Yeah. In our last episode, we talked about a, a conglomerate. There is like three or four different cafes up there mm-hmm. that one of them had already like begun the process of unionizing. And the other one was kind of just beginning it and trying to get some sort of agreement with the owners of the company. Uh, well, we do have an update on that. They have voted pretty landslide victory. I believe there was 70 members or employees that showed up for the vote and it, they passed uh, the vote by like 50 to 20. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, most of them have kind of gone in for it. What I think has been interesting in reading and catching up and like listening to the comments from the employees and stuff is like, Hey, this is really cool. This is what we wanted. Now we can bargain. We can talk about wages. We can talk about, uh, and you know, how we're expected to perform while we're here. Uh, and I mean, it talked about because they're cafes. So it's not just a gaming store. You're talking bartenders, baristas, uh, you're talking the retail workers, yeah. Uh, after school programs that they run, which I mean I think is really cool, but pay people what they're worth. And then there was uh, how did they put it? People who run the games, also known as and in quotes dungeon masters. So uh, not really sure what that means, but all of those people are going to be part of this now. Originally, they started out with hey we want a union. They told the owners, right, and the owners are like nah. If you don't give it to us, we get to go to the National Labor Relations Board and legally get to petition to join or establish a union. Yeah. And that's what they did. So in the, what, it looks like uh, this started in October. So in the four weeks leading up to this, what has been going on is a lot of talk from the owners that is essentially union busting tactics. Yeah. They called meetings held a captive audience, told them how unions are bad and they don't work and the bad things that would happen to them yeah. if they started a union. They also, there was rumors about the people that were the kind of lead on establishing the union and talking with the labor board and stuff like that. Just stuff that, it's just underhanded. Yeah. And we've heard it time and time again from Starbucks to Walmart to any company that didn't voluntarily give a union yeah. goes for this. So, uh, like I said, uh, I think we talked about the Brooklyn strategist was actually the one that was kind of highlighted that we talked about. Right. But this Hex and Co owns several different companies. Yeah. Or cafes. Uh, but yeah, now they're uh, they're going to deal with having a union. They'll have to negotiate, and they're going to have to actually, you know treat their people and you know, give them a living wage. They are negotiating for a twenty two fifty an hour plus tips, internal hiring for management positions, health and safety concerns that need to be addressed, and basically all of the board game cafes that are owned by Hex and Co are pushing for this stuff. So, I mean, congratulations. Good on them. I, I really want to look at this and see how this goes, right? I am curious. I know in our episode last week, we mentioned some of the concerns that they had, and it wasn't just wages. It was a lot of things across the board, mm-hmm. um, just general treatment and all sorts of things like that. So I think this is a good step for them. Hopefully, they're able to get a better working environment, not just in pay, but also in the way they are treated, the way you know, just that whole package works for them. And I think in our industry, some of the articles I read too, what makes this especially especially difficult is that most people don't go work at game stores because they need a first job and they don't care, right? Like kids working at McDonald's for the first time are like, hey man, I'm here for a paycheck. Yeah. The people that come and work in game stores and work in these game cafes do it because there's a passion that they have for board games, for TTRPGs, for what they do, I think for the most part. It's hard to be as passionate about making a cheeseburger as it is. Totally fair. You know, about teaching people to play games. Uh, we've, we've talked about it all the time, how this hobby particularly has such rewarding experiences on all different sides of it. Right. So I, I can see how somebody who chooses to 
work in that environment where you're constantly with people, you're constantly experiencing those moments with them. Like I can see how that, that lends itself more towards somebody who's passionate than just somebody who's there to just do their job. And I think if you have those people, it's in your best interest to give them a living wage, to treat them properly, to make them not only enjoy being part of this hobby, like being part of the wheels that grind to make this yeah. hobby work, but also they just love coming to work. They deserve both. Yeah. If you have people who are happy in the job that they're doing and in, enjoy that coming to work, even if there are bad days or days that just aren't great, like you end up getting more productive and better work out of those people. Right. Cause they're, they're not like it. They don't show up to the work and go, all right, I have eight hours now. And as soon as my eight hours is done, I can finally be free of this place. Right. It's much more of, all right, what can I do today? Like, what kind of things are we going to run into? Like, there's a different attitude and approach to it. And they tend to be more productive as well as, you know, just better workers in general. Yeah. And I'm going to say it because uh, in every episode, I need to make a comment which could potentially land us in legal trouble. But... <laughs> I don't think the owners that are responsible for these game cafes are gamers. I don't think they're part of our hobby. I don't know for sure. I'm gonna. That's, I'll, that's a bold statement, Cotton. <laughs> I don't know. Just the way they seem to be handling this, and just the way that they seem to be handling their business in general, it reminds me of those like, uh, like horrible boss text messages that pop up every now and then. Like, oh, look at these horrible bosses. And it's stuff like, hey, this person called out. You need to be here. And you're like, hey, man, it's four in the morning. Yeah, that's why I'm texting you so you know to come into work. Nah, bro. Nah, today's my day off. I wonder if it's the case of maybe they didn't start out that way. You know? And now they've just, they've seen that they can make some money. And they're like, you know where we can make more money is not paying people. Yeah, like, I wonder if it's, uh, so... We just watched uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Classic. Right. Um, and the scene there where <laughs> Cousin Eddie kidnaps his boss and brings him to the house. Right. <laughs> and they're sitting there talking and they tell him about, you know, you know, they he canceled the Christmas bonuses that year. Screwed over a lot of people. Yada, yada, yada. Um, and his wife comes in after the police get there and everything. Right. And he's like, well, you know, I canceled the Christmas bonuses or whatever. And she she like has this really negative reaction to it. Like you didn't, you know, um, and he was like, yeah, you know, we were just looking for a way to like, you know, cut costs. And on paper, it looked really good. That's sort of, like, I wonder if that is not a, a, a real reflection of kind of that mindset. Like you get so used to trying to find ways of operating the business more efficiently that you forget about the actual human beings on the other side of those decisions. Maybe. And I like how you're trying to give them an out here. Here's my thing. (laughs) Why would you play that game with people who routinely get together to solve problems that aren't even real, but practice this time and time again? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, this is the worst group to try to screw over because then you become the BBEG and everybody in your store is like, screw this guy. <laughs> and now there are multiple campaigns based around. I'm just saying. Every campaign that gets run in that store, there's the, the bad guy always suspiciously resembles the owner. Nobody knows why, but <laughs> every time they describe him and he's standing there, he's like looking at the mirror going, wait a minute, I have a beard. <laughs> Yeah, that's just my two cents. And if they ever hear this and they get mad at me, uh, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Come on the show. Tell me I'm wrong. Hey, some more big news that we've got. Uh, Rose and Nick, who came on from Fire and Ash a couple episodes ago. Great episode. Love talking to them. A lot of fun. They were starting a Kickstarter for their hidden book, Dice Towers. And there was more components that they were putting into it. The uh, I love the look of the the dice vault that comes with it. Just good looking handmade products started their Kickstarter. And so as of Saturday, November 18th, they are fully funded. They reached their goal, which is great on any Kickstarter, especially yep. ones that we're watching friends of ours, people we've got to meet. But on top of this, like we've talked about, they've been working from home and this yeah. is what Rose does. 
Yeah, I, I I think I'm most excited that, you know, they're finally going to be able to have a space where their house doesn't smell like burning wood anymore. <laughs> it's the little things, really. Yeah. Right, right. No, but seriously, they were looking to do this Kickstarter so that they could actually get a space and upscale what they are doing. Yes. So this is fantastic. I love to see a small business be successful in even though it's kind of a niche field mm-hmm. like to see them be able to capture that and then grow and move on from there that's wonderful it really emphasizes what they were talking about um especially nick he said i think a couple times during the interview hey if you have a thing if you're making a thing if you're doing something don't feel like you can't share it don't feel like nobody's gonna like this put it out there there are lots of people in this community and in the world who are going to see things that you do and be like, that's a cool thing. Yeah. And I think watching that Kickstarter get fully funded and, I mean, win, there's people out there who are going to look at your stuff and think that it's cool. So yeah. if you're out there, if you're an artist, if you're you know wanting to make something, go make it. We did it. We made a podcast. And I don't care if we have two listeners. We'll still keep making this podcast because we have fun doing it. You know, uh, Kevin Smith, again, a hero of mine, says the same thing, man. Just go out and do it. You'll get a lot of no's in your life. Yeah. Just ignore them. So good job. Good luck with you guys. Uh, Man, I hope this works out. Uh, We'll do a checkup with them, you know, maybe here in a couple months. Yeah. uh, And see how they're doing. You know, and in case this episode hasn't already got off to a rather controversial start. But uh, wait, there's more. (laughs) So let's talk about a hot button issue that has been uh, going around all over the place, but has really started to make waves in the board game community. And that is the controversy of AI art. And should it be used? Should it not be used? What are the ethical, you know, kind of discussion around it? All that sort of thing. While we don't have time, you know, we're not dedicating a full episode to this yet. uh, Maybe one day. Uh, We got a few interesting things that came out recently. Uh, so we talked when Eschenspiel was going on how there was some um, AI art that was used with that uh, in a couple episodes ago, and there was some controversy surrounding that. We just had Magic launched a new Secret Layer set that was a crossover with Tomb Raider, which they were accused of having an advertisement that was generated with AI art to promote the product, which was then promptly taken down and changed. <laughs> And they put up a different one. Um, And then we, of course, had another one which we haven't talked about. And that is Stronghold Games in their newest Kickstarter that they ran uh, about a month and a half ago. um, Also put out a statement that they used AI art in their Kickstarter. Now, to preface that one specifically, they did mention that there were actual artists that they used. Um... They said they did not know how the AI that they used were trained with the art. Um, it was never their intention to copy any artist or anything like that. But they believe that AI art is never 100% ethical, um, which is an interesting statement. Right. Uh, because they still ended up using it on their newest Kickstarter. And this is the company that is behind. I think their biggest game is Terraforming Mars. Yep, yeah, it was one of it was their newest um, expansion for Terraforming Mars, actually. So the problem with AI, like there's a couple things that we've talked about. One, anybody can go into one of these AI websites, type in uh, just a phrase, and it will produce art. Yeah, there's some argument that the art isn't as good, which that makes sense. Um, but the problem with the AI art is you never know where it's learning its art from, yeah. right? The, the program and the intelligence itself can pull artwork that is uh, out on the internet. Uh, Getty Images had a real problem with this because AI art was taking a lot of theirs as its, uh, like as its background work. Yeah. So they sued and they've got, uh, they've got a lot of that stuff taken down. The other part of it is, again... Anyone can, I can go in, find an AI program and type in what I want for maybe a D&D character, maybe for a, you know, uh, some artwork that I want to put on a board. Anybody can do it, which takes away from people who have spent years in their life learning how to be good artists. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the heart of this whole issue 
is this is fairly new territory. Right. Right. AI is still something that we are experimenting with and finding out where it ends up. You know, I think we've already seen the Terminator movies, so I don't know. But um, but seriously, this is a new experience for us and tr- trying to set boundaries of what is and is not acceptable is the kind of the phase I feel like we're in now. And like you said, a lot of the issue, I think, is where is it learning? I say learning in quotation marks, kind of, but because where is it gathering the data set to create whatever it's creating? Is it pulling from artists who have already made things and then they're not being properly compensated or acknowledged? Right. That's the kind of thing. Also, another big question with AI artists, who owns it? Right. Because a lot of the programs that create it, when you go to create these things have terms and conditions that say that they own anything that that art is used with. Right. Right. Which is a problem because are you giving credit then to an artist that is responsible in the background? Are you giving credit to the person who typed in the string of, you know, make me this? Does the AI company or program, are they responsible? Is it the company that owns the AI? Like there are a lot of questions that have not been answered. Definitely enough that if I owned a board game company, I'd be like, hey, we're not using AI until this gets settled. Yeah, that's what it feels like to me that that it, there are so many questions out there right now that I would be hesitant to use anything like that. Um, one, because it's always nice to put money back into the community, like just in general, but especially the artists for the board gaming community, which I feel a lot of them don't get the credit that they really should. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like something like this, it it's still so new that it, I, it's one of those things I would rather be very hesitant about it as opposed to jumping right in and embracing, you know, new technology. Um, because at the end of the day, it, it has potential to hurt members of our community. Yeah. There, and the statement that stronghold games made or the few statements that they've made about it all seem really vague. Yes, I agree. Like, there are questions that are directly asked of them, and they skirt it. Like, I mean, experienced politicians skirt it. (laughs) The PR department, though, you know what I'm saying? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I I think, though, on the other side of that, there are opinions on this that are are very strong on both sides. Yes. Um, Unfortunately, the side that is for AI art has some of the opinions like, well, I think the whole they took her jobs argument is not strong enough. Where I would counter that with, I think that is the perfectly good argument, especially when it comes to the field of being an artist and how difficult it can be just from the outset. Um, When you're taking that away and having something like that's able to recreate something similar to what you can do. Right. Like that's an immediate like, you know, kick somebody out like if we look at a different industry right if ai begins to take over say manufacturing right which it does in some cases yes right but if it was a full-scale ability to take that over can you imagine the uproar that would be heard like around the world because of something like that well even look in academia right now there are a lot of people that are using ai to write papers yeah right which i get it a lot of people see college and for a lot of majors, you do a lot of things that aren't helping you in your major. Yeah. Right. You have to take a certain amount of classes. And the idea is to make a well-rounded person. I get it. I, I understand why you would do that, you know, but there are some people that are using it to write papers that are like, you know, their dissertations at the end of their, you know, their capstones. What are we doing? I don't like it because, like you said, you mentioned the Terminator, and we're all like, "Haha, that was a good movie," but it was supposed to take place two or three years ago. Well, we were supposed to have flying cars by twenty twenty, but our populace is overly stupid, so we don't have them. Not you guys. <laughs> you know what I mean. I don't like the idea of handing over so much responsibility to an AI program, and I know there are plenty of scientists out there that are like, "No, no, it's not a big deal." But Hawkins said, this is going to be what kills us. So, again, the opinions are split on that. When it comes to the gaming community, though, and especially something like this, Stronghold Games said that the artists that they paid were paid quite well. Right. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Yeah. 
uh, they mentioned specifically, I think the artist on their neoprene playmats mm-hmm. is paid a very nice royalty for his art. Okay. So. Uh, it feels like they're trying to skirt a line here, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. To me, it's like, okay, so you paid some artists to do some work, but you also did not pay other artists for other work. One of the articles that we were looking through, there's a statement that somebody linked from Twitter by uh, Coyote and Crow that I think kind of sums up like a really strong viewpoint. Coyote and Crow Games. Seeing a major game publisher openly using AI art for a very well-funded game is equal parts infuriating and disappointing. I can't say it any clearer. There is no ethical use of AI art for profit currently. There are no models and no workarounds that isn't intellectual theft. Coyote and Crow, they were not at Gen Con, specifically because of Indiana's stance on reproductive rights. So this is a company that takes its morals very seriously. And, I mean, I I feel like I'm behind that. Yeah, they have constantly stood up for what they believe in as a company. And they have produced a fantastic RPG that we've talked about multiple times that just the way that it's written, who they use to do both the artwork and the actual writing of the product. I I mean, it's, it's fantastic. When a company like that comes forward to make a stance, you know, that to me, that means something. Right. And let's be clear that this Kickstarter the terraforming Mars Kickstarter that we're talking about, the the end pledge was two million two hundred and twenty two thousand seven hundred and three over two million dollars pledged to this Kickstarter, right? And some would say then that shows that people are not really concerned about using AI art. And while that may be the case, it also may be the case that people are not as well informed or understand the debate in general right that kickstarter ended on october 24th and these articles are coming out now yeah so uh it may have not been something that a lot of people knew about but a lot of the responses have been well stronghold games is on my i'm not gonna ever buy list yeah so yeah uh hey that's what's going on in the world around us you got to make your own call for it but uh i think we've been pretty clear about where we stand so uh hey let's talk about fun kids games So with the holidays upon us, I imagine that a lot of us are going to have people in our house that we normally don't throughout the year. I know we have a uh, large contingent of human beings showing up (laughs) to eat food. What that brings with it, though, is a lot of uh, smaller people. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't leave them at home. Right. Well, I mean, you could, but some government entities look down on that. (laughs) It's frowned upon. Right, right. Having new kids in the house, especially having a house that is uh, as game friendly as ours is, yeah. and I imagine a lot of our listeners, sometimes you got to have something for them, right? Right. My partner's niece and nephew come over pretty regularly, and it's not unusual to have them wandering around the game table. Yeah. I mean, our game room is pretty cool just to start with, so right. Right. it draws them in anyway. So we were looking at some games that we have in our collection. That we have watched children enjoy, um, and even some of them that we've had fun playing. Yeah, I, I, as much as we would love for them to play, you know, like Nemesis or Spirit Island, they they just don't get it. So instead, we have a few options here. Um, maybe some you've heard of, maybe some you haven't. Uh, definitely one from the cult of the new, if you will, um, that you guys can check out and maybe try out the next time you have a family gathering with some kids over. So we're gonna start with the games that are rated for younger kids starting at about four years old and up and then we're going to progress through this as we've got like five games here we'll talk about so let's start off with our first game uh i feel like this is probably one that more people would know or would know to look for um yeah it's more popular i think for sure at least the grown-up regular version of it is right and this is my first carcassonne from z-man games yep so Carcassonne has uh, for a long time been considered a staple of kind of modern tabletop gaming. Um, it's right up there with Catan, Ticket to Ride, Home on Yards. It's, it's usually on the list of these are the games you should start with. 
Blew right past that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we don't need that. Carcassonne is a tile laying game where you place tiles trying to build the map of the city of Carcassonne. During the normal game, you get different types of scoring for roads and fields and cities and all sorts of things like that, um, depending on the way that you orient the tiles. In the kids' version, they completely simplify that. They make it to where each tile has um, a couple different roads on it, and there are these little kids on the road. And your job is to try and complete roads and then get all of your little meeples that are that color onto those roads. So it takes the scoring mechanic and makes it a whole lot easier. Right. What you were saying, the scoring mechanic is really the complicated part of Carcassonne. It it definitely is. Um, That was the hardest part usually for people to wrap their heads around. Anybody can place tiles, but then at the end you're like, wait a second, I got to actually get points for this. So, um, but this breaks it down really easily, I think, and makes it digestible. It also takes it to where there's no adding up of a score at the end. It's just whoever places all of the colored meeples that they have first wins. Right. Really simplifying, which is what you need for especially smaller children, because this one starts at Four yeah, is what they rated rate. for. Like I said, I've seen kids playing it and had a good time with it. Uh, like I said, really simplifies things. Lay the tile, move your people. Yeah. is pretty much how it goes. Yeah, it's a nice little uh, entryway, I think, to expanding the modern or the kind of game space for younger kids. Because um, tile laying games are not something that's super popular. Yeah. Uh, but it is definitely a genre out there. So, you know, something kind of pushed them that boundary a little bit further. Right. And like uh, Cardinal Glick said... Cook them when they're young. <laughs> it's a dogma reference. Go look that one up. Yeah. So the next one that we have is Monsieur Carousel. So this is one that my significant other found. She was actually looking for children's games for when the kids come over. And she right. found this one. And I got to tell you, I looked at it at first and I was like, hmm, that's awfully French. And it is. <laughs> Very much is. For that age group, it actually works out really well. Like, it was a lot of fun. It is a cooperative game where you are teaching the kids memorization. You are teaching them uh, kind of spatial awareness. There is a dice rolling mechanic. um, And it's all based on this uh, rather good size wooden carousel device that kind of sits in the middle of the board. In the game, you are trying to get all of the small, like, kid tokens onto the carousel um, before the rainy day happens. Right, right. So uh, part of your turn is uh, getting a child onto the carousel, and then depending on how the carousel stops, because you get to spin it, will determine whether you're going to get a raindrop or you're going to get to put some sunlight out. Like, it's really good. It's really kind of bright. feels really engaging. The carousel has uh, different colors on it. You start by rolling the dice, and the dice is a D6, but instead of numbers, it's got colors on it. Right. Whatever color comes up, you pick a child and you put them in the little space in the carousel. There's also there are also seating discs that fit underneath the carousel. So on each place where you'll place a child, there's going to be like an animal or an object or something. And that's kind of important, too, because if they remember that later on, they may be able to get more sunshine or more rain if they forget. So it's working on some memorization there for them. Uh, The children's tokens, it's all wood. They all have names. You can look them up in the book if you would like. Maya looks like a criminal. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. This kid's starting trouble. But you place them. You spin the thing. And then it goes around. And like I said, it is a cooperative game. So we're trying to get all the kids on the carousel before the raindrops fill up. Um, or if we fill up the sunshine, you win. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a very interesting game. There's a lot of elements there that... Um, also are, are not really represented in a lot of games, Yeah, but I think they fit perfectly for that age group, yep. especially the, just the general memorization aspect of it. Um, trying to remember what is underneath the token that you placed, you know, that sort of thing. So I feel like this is one, uh, that's difficult for them to completely play by themselves, which I think any of these, that younger group, you probably need to be supervising them and watching them or have somebody that yeah. cosplays as a responsible adult doing that. <laughs> This one definitely just because, you know, remind them that, hey, what are you putting it on? You know, so they can like think it and remember it. Yeah. Also, when you're building the sunshine, uh, it is on, like I said, it's on half of the board. The raindrops have little cutouts that they fit into and so do the sunshine bars, but they're represented by uh, little wooden blocks and there's different sizes. So when they place the sunshine, they have to figure out if this is going to fit 
uh, to finish the ray of sunshine. Yep. If it doesn't fit, they have to put it off to the side and wait to use it. Yeah, because each ray is divided into two different pieces. Yep. Most of them are different sizes. And then there's one ray that's like two of the same size piece. So, yeah, it gives them a little bit of like spatial awareness type thing as well. Uh, like I said, when we first pulled this out, I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Um, but after watching the kids play it, they really had a good time. There's a lot of interaction with, you know, getting to roll the dice. You actually move the tokens, spinning the carousel. They really enjoyed it. And they've come back for it and played it a couple times. Yeah, it seems like definitely a really cool game. That Again, again, that is Monsure Carousel from Loki Kids. So the next one we have up is one that was kind of big this year at Gen Con. Yeah, this is definitely Cult of the New. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And it sold out, and it's been crazy trying to find it since then. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, we got our copy of Gen Con. Yep. Because yep. we walked up and gave them like, and it wasn't, it was like, what, 15 bucks or something? Yeah, it was something like that. I mean, anytime I can get a good game and get it at a, like a good price. Yeah. Uh, we've gotten already hours of playtime out of this. Absolutely. Yeah. And that is Diced Veggies by Kids Table Board Games. Yeah, this this company one has put out quite a few pretty solid hitters for kind of kids level games. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of obviously what they built their shtick around being kids table board games. But they've had this one. Uh, and also, uh, Creature Comforts was another one of theirs. Okay, yeah. So a lot of a lot of really good stuff they came out with this year. Uh, but Dice Veggies, uh, we've talked about it a little bit on the show. We talked about it when we did our Gen Con wrap up. It's been a blast, like just just so far across the board um, at all age levels, not just, you know, with the kids version. Right. What I really liked about this, and this is something that we've talked about with other games where people wanted a simplified game. But, you know, you, you need a little bit more meat for some people. Yeah, this does it really well. If you play the full rules uh, as an adult, you can play this game and it's challenging. Yeah. Um, and you are playing against other people. You're trying to cook vegetarian recipes. You do that by uh, taking dice out of the center. You basically have a block of D6s. You roll them. They're different colors. Different colors represent different vegetables. They have different pips on them. When you're playing the adult version of the game, uh, you have to count the pips and keep track of that. You only take so many. And you have uh, some other cards that you can play to like spice up the recipe or right. whatever for some extra points. They take that and they kind of scale it down. You lose some of the complexity. As the kids game, you just take, I think it's three dice out of every time. Doesn't matter what yeah. their pips are. Nobody cares. Yeah. You know, and really makes it easy. And it, there's this little cardboard cleaver that yeah. you use. And the kids get a kick out of that. Yeah. <laughs> really just a well done game in general. And then how they scale it back. And I think this one scales down and they say for six and above. But again, yeah. we've had a four year old that jumped in there and he was doing fine. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely one of those games where you can you can go a little bit younger depending on the kid. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I also like the way they're able to have this simplified version. And then as the kids get older, you can start adding elements into it. Right. Right. You know, with talking about the pips and stuff, you can add in that counting element, you know, that understanding of the numbers um, you add in like card plays and strategy and all that sort of stuff can start to build in in the future as they get comfortable with the game itself. Right. And I think that helps them if they get into board games later on. There are, you know, there are a couple of games that do that. A lot of the ones that we have, there is a version that you play. And then as you get good with the base mechanic, yeah. you add something else onto it. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, this one is fantastic. Um, if you're looking for one that kind of plays to not only kids, but also, you know, adults, this is a great one. Um, it's a good little kind of filler game, too. doesn't take very long to play. It's it's very, very quick. Yeah, real good. Quick setup. Easy to jump into. Um, pretty easy to understand from the get-go. Yep. Uh, next up. So, I I like this one. I think this is a great dexterity-type game for kids. Uh, that, and it's it's funny. Yeah. Uh, we're talking Kabuto Sumo uh, from All Play, which used to be Board Game Tables. BoardGameTables.com. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they changed their name, I think it was this year. So we're going with the updated name. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, Kabuto Sumo, you create this ring out of cardboard. It comes with it. And it's basically, it looks like the stump of a tree. Yeah. And your champions, which are bugs, you take turns pushing different pieces in from different angles and trying to push each other off of the stump. Uh, this one came out 
I think right before we went to PAX in 2019. Yeah. I think was when it first came out. Um, but they've had a few expansions come out for it and stuff. Um, I, I really like the different bugs that they've done. So each one of the bugs is kind of like a different wrestler. Um, yeah, it's very much got like the old WWE feel yeah, to it. 100%. It's very cool theming, um, but it's very, very simple. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the, um, the draw to it because it's a unique game. Like there's not really a lot out there. It does provide that dexterity element to it. Um, and it's, it's really cool, <laughs> really cool to watch when they're playing, especially kids and trying to figure out how the pieces are going to move. And of course, most of the pieces on the board are round, right? So they never move the way you expect them to usually. So kind of to watch that like understanding of, Oh, okay. So this is how, you know, pieces will interact with each other. Um, I think that's, that's a really cool place to be. And I think this is another one that scales up really well. Yeah. Each of the wrestlers have their own special piece that you can work into it. Uh, they have like their special moves. Yeah. That you can work around. Really interesting game. And like Josh said, a lot of it is filled with these little round circles. And the rules for that can be simplified as well. I know with ours, it's just like if you knock them off, you get to use those. Just yeah. scoop them up. Yeah. I, and that's most of what it is. Uh, I know for complexity, you can... You can play either where like everyone just gets their signature piece or you can play where you have to like do certain things to unlock it. Right. Yeah. 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 So with the kids, you don't need to do that and they will still have a blast with this. Yeah. And the best part about it too, this is another little game. I think it's 20, 25 bucks for it um, for the base set, which gives you like five or six different wrestlers, you know, and the kids can have fun picking out their favorite wrestler you know, pretending to be WWE superstars kind of thing. Like it's, it's all around a good time. Right. And if you're doing this for Thanksgiving, spend the 15 bucks over at party city and get a belt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I 100% say this is fantastic. Yep. So the last one on our list is dungeon mayhem by wizards of the coast. This one is definitely geared for a little bit older audience. Yeah. And the big reason for that is because you need to be able to read your cards and understand what they do. Right. So Dungeon Mayhem is a head-to-head kind of uh, card game where you're battling it out. You can play multiple people, though. I think you can play up to eight now with the expansions. All of the cards, the characters, are based in D&D, yeah. right? Loosely. Loosely. <laughs> yeah, this one's really fun. Uh, I do think they do a lot of good use of iconography on the cards. Oh, absolutely. Um, to kind of help with that... Um, that reading element. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why we wanted to include it as kind of an honorable mention. I mean, that is what ages eight plus I think is the, is what's on the box. Yeah. Yeah. But again, uh, we've seen it played lower um, sometimes with a little bit of help at first. Yeah. But usually once they learn like what the iconography is and there's not a ton of it. um, And once they learn that they're, they're usually good to go. And each character comes with a card that shows what each symbol means, what it does. The original box has four characters in it. Uh, there's like a barbarian, a wizard, a paladin, and a rogue. And they play that way. Like the rogue is sneaky and yeah. will steal your stuff and do damage. Uh, things like that. The uh, wizard uh, will just blow, ev- like literally blow everyone in the table up with a fireball. Yeah. It is one of his cards. <laughs> it's really good. You can pick up that set for like 10 bucks. Yeah. I think something like that. Uh, there was the first expansion, which added two more characters, which actually come from Baldur's Gate lore. Right. Uh, Jahira and Minsk and Boo, which nice. is my favorite. Yeah. If you play Baldur's Gate, the original one, Minsk has a lot of great one lines when you're like going into attack or, yeah. you know, go yeah. for the eyes, Boo. Yeah. So that's what his cards are. And it's great. And then their final expansion that they did was the Monster Madness yeah. expansion, which adds six other characters but they're all monsters there is a an owl bear that's like a circus owl bear it's crazy uh mimi lachey is a mimic so she changes shape to the game uh delilah death ray is a beholder uh there's a dragon that's big into acquisitions i can't yeah. remember yeah he'll yeah. steal all your stuff too uh there's my favorite blorp the fastest cube alive yep so uh really interesting again and the the uh Artwork on them is really cool. It's fun. It There's a lot of good things to play. I will tell you, like I said, this game says it's for eight and up, but I have had my butt kicked by a four-year-old playing this game. Yeah. 
this game is definitely not for people who don't like like that head-to-head got you type game like true this is 100% what this is yeah but it is it is very unique and fun the characters feel different like they play differently especially if you have all all the expansions um you can really figure out who's your favorite and how you want to play um but yeah this one is really fun and it, it's it's pretty quick it's pretty easy to understand it's not a hard teach right um and it definitely scales well as far as like who would be available to play it. Yeah. Right. Even though it can go all the way down to younger kids, um, still adults are going to have fun with this game as well. We've sat around the table with like just full adults going round and round with this one. Yeah. Um, it's fast. It sets up quick. Uh, yeah, it's really good. If you buy the monster madness expansion too, it's really nice because all of the cards fit into that box and they all have their own markers yeah. uh, to show where they are. Um, really well done for packaging as an expansion. Which also makes me think they're not coming out with any more. Um, so you can get the whole thing with all the expansions for probably somewhere around 40 bucks. Yeah. So keep an eye out in your uh, local game store or go check Amazon if you really don't want to leave the house. It's that time of year. <laughs> so there we go. Uh, five games. If you've got younger people in your life that you care about and want to get into the hobby yep. um, or you just want to make sure they have, never have enough money to do drugs and you want to get them in the hobby. Uh, these are some great openings to get them excited. And next up, our crowdfunding roundup. Hey guys, it's that time of the show again where we bring you cool stuff that people are making that wants you to give them their money so they can make it. It's fine. It'll follow. (laughs) We got three more projects today. Some board games, some undead, and then something to make your life a little easier uh, for planning encounters at your next TTRPG session. Yeah, so first up, we have a game called Kelp. Uh, This one has been creating some waves across different board game channels for a little while now. I seem to think I first heard about this right before we went to Gen Con. It's kind of the first time it came out. Um, But this is a two-player asymmetrical game where one side plays as a shark and the other side plays as an octopus. Uh, Each side has, obviously, different things that they do and different ways that they play the game. Uh, The shark's goal is to eat the octopus, whereas the octopus is trying to hide from the shark and can win by a couple different ways, either eating all the food or just evading the shark. So this one looks really interesting. Um, there have been a lot of reviews and stuff. Done. A lot of people seem to really like it. Uh, it reminds me of the another two-player game called Raptor. It was the same thing, kind of asymmetrical, where one side played the raptor and the babies, and the other side played the scientist trying to capture him. Um, so those tend to be, if they're done well, they tend to be very exciting. The one thing that I thought that was really interesting with this was a lot of people are saying they enjoy playing both sides almost equally, which sometimes in asymmetrical games you you can't find. Right. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to a lot about um, the potential for what this game is. Yeah. And when we say asymmetrical, uh, the shark's gameplay is based around dice rolls where the octopus gameplay is more of a deck builder. Yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about completely different mechanics to play the game. If you are a fan of two-player games, um, this definitely would be one for you to check out. Uh, they are fully funded right now. They have a bunch of their stretch goals unlocked, including it looks like five or six different mini expansions. They're also upgrading some of the components as well through the stretch goals. So definitely a really, really cool project to kind of get on the ground floor of. So let's look at pledge levels. For just the standard edition, you're looking at about 50 bucks, and it comes with the standard uh, edition, including all of the applicable stretch goals as usual. The next up is the Deluxe Edition, and you start to get uh, fancier dice. It comes with upgraded components, included the Octopus Mini, a shiny metal coin. The bags are a little nicer, and the box is the Deluxe Embossed Box. Uh, And again, all of your applicable stretch goals. Yeah, and, and that pledge comes in right about $66. The next up is the Kelp Deluxe Bundle. Um, All of the stuff that we've already talked about, it also includes the Brilliant Behaviors mini expansion, which they say just lets you kind of play deeper into the game. Yep. Uh, That one comes in at like 75 bucks, and then you can get two of those for about 150. 
again, it's two-player game, plays about 40 to 60 minutes. They are looking at delivery October of next year. So about one year time, That's that seems about right. Now, this has hit a huge funding goal. So they were asking for around 11000 for their goal. Currently, it sits at $763,000 in pledges. So it is funded and then a lot. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that's going to affect delivery time because sometimes it can. Um, as we've seen with other Kickstarters, when they get extremely overfunded, sometimes that delivery schedule gets adjusted. Yep. Um, but either way, this still has 14 days to go. So there's plenty of time for you to go check it out, take a look at a couple of the videos and reviews, maybe watch a couple of playthroughs and see if this is one for you. Next up, we have Deceased, a zombie side game. Everybody's pretty well aware of are backing for the Marvel Zombies game. Yes. Well, here we go with the DC version. Again, made by Zombicide, so uh, come on, games. It is the same kind of setup with a few, I think, notable differences so far. Yeah, so this one in particular, because of licensing, they had to play around a little bit when they're discussing it. This falls in their superhero line of Zombicide games which Marvel Zombies also falls into that. And they have stated that it is compatible with their other superhero Zombicide games. Got it. Everybody read through that? Yeah. Yeah. So just so everyone's aware, yes, you can do the thing you're asking about in your head. We're not going to say it, but you know what it is. (laughs) This one features all of the DC heroes, the Cyborg, Wonder Woman, Batman, The Flash... Green Arrow, Lex Luthor's in there, uh, and then on the zombie side, you've got Superman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Catwoman, Martian Manhunter, and Hawkman. Yeah, so the most notable difference in this this versus the Marvel version is, as of time recording, there is no zombie mode. You can only play as the heroes. Right. Now, they have hinted around that that is going to be the case. Like that it is just going to be a hero mode. Um, and they actually referenced their licensing agreement with DC. But <laughs> as of time of recording, yes, they are creating an awful lot of zombie versions of like the creatures. And it would be a shame if those were to end up just being abominations. Right, because that's that's all the superheroes are in the superhero version, like the opposite version. Right, yeah. When you draw that abomination card, yeah. you instead put a superhero out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it would be a shame for them to um, to get that. Now, I will say though, if you are um, if you're looking to play a zombie mode, um, I would I would one hundred percent put money on that if it is not an official release, that Zombicide has a huge, and I say that very like huge community of people who do custom content for it. Right. And I would not be surprised if they were to make custom versions to be able to play as zombie mode. So that's where we're at right now with what we know. The campaign still has 10 days to go. So, you know, who knows what kind of curveballs come on, we'll throw at us. So currently this game is funded. It was funded the first day. Come on knows what they're doing with Kickstarters. They're probably the best at it. They've built their business model around it. Right. Um, there are a couple other differences that come in with this one versus the Marvel one. Um, it does bring in some equipment cards, which are different, um, able to add some more powerful attacks and things like that. Um, they do say that this, as far as difficulty scales a little bit harder than what Marvel zombies is. Okay. And so there's that. Um, and then, there are a couple other small differences in there, but for the most part, it plays like the other superhero zombicide version. Um, they added a few more like interactive objects and things like that to kind of make that cooler. Um, but yeah, so currently they have the standard box. Um, they are announcing the Kickstarter exclusives as well as they do every day. Um, you get a new one of those. Uh, they do have uh, crossover cards for the Dark Knight Metal um, edition pieces that came out for a zombicide second edition. So you can take those and play that in here. Um, and then they have a couple new, uh, add on boxes, right? So the pledge level that they have right now is 130 bucks. 
uh, and that just gets you started. That gets you the base DC uh, deceased box. And then we go into the add-ons. Right. So it, probably within the next few days, they're going to announce an all-in pledge level. Right? Because that's, again, that's what they do. Um, they put out all the extra boxes kind of one by one. And then once everything's kind of out, they'll put out what their all-in pledge is. Um, I'll be honest, when they first launched, after the initial kind of like rush of funding, they had a stall of like the first few days until they announced the first kind of add-on box, which was um, the unkillables. So this is kind of uh, like Suicide Squad is is close to kind of what uh, it's some of the characters from the Suicide Squad uh, and then a couple others. So that kind of helped with the initial numbers, but it was still kind of lagging behind. Uh, and then they announced the second box, which was Gotham Knights. And they did something I didn't think they were going to do. They made a zombie Batman. Right. I, I saw that. Yeah, I, I was I was curious if they were because Batman has always felt like they're kind of like Shining Knight. I mean, there were a few like versions of him, though, that were kind of um, odd. Well, yeah, especially when you talk like, uh, was it Flashpoint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, but that box was, it looks pretty cool. It's all your different um, bat family. <laughs> it's just the, the yeah, yeah, <laughs> along with the bystanders and a couple of the criminals from Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the, the newest add-on box that got announced um, just before we had this recorded, and that is a Green Lantern core box. Really interesting the way they did the sculpts. There's a lot of that like translucent green plastic that they've yeah. used. Kind of what I would expect from the Green Lantern core. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did see, so there is a couple um, like Sinestros in there um, as uh, like uh, zombie. Uh, and some people were upset that they didn't use like a yellow plastic on him because he doesn't have any of that fanciness because, you know, he's the yellow lantern core. Um, and they also were talking about adding um, as a stretch goal, maybe uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was from the red lantern core and then doing the same thing. So, you know, we'll see. It's it's come on. I wouldn't be surprised if they have something like that up their sleeves. Um, I was going to say they they have a tendency to come out with exactly what we're asking for. Yeah. When it comes to minis. They they are masters at a Kickstarter campaign. Right? They know the way to not only build like hype around their campaign, but to constantly add into that and continuously build that up and sustain it throughout, you know, the entire campaign. If you're interested in this, um currently, again, that, that pledge is $130. Uh now they did say that you would be able to make just a $1 pledge now. And then you would be able to go into the pledge manager when it opens and add on what you want to go with from there. So looking for about a year, a year and some change for fulfillment. Once the Kickstarter closes, hopefully it won't run into the same things that Marvel zombies ran into with, you know, shipping and manufacturing and all that sort of things. But uh, we are talking about another huge campaign it's it's close to cresting a million dollars in funding, you know. So the the same kind of things are still there. Um, again, it does have ten days left to go. So if it's something you may be interested in, go take a look at it. There are a lot of really good videos on this one as well of people playing the prototypes, um, and you can see it does play very similar to the other superhero Zombicide. Um, so if DC is more your flavor, um, definitely take a look at it. Check it out. Um, I don't know that we'll be backing this one. It's tough. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm on the fence. I, I definitely, if they were to announce a zombie mode, I would probably be in on it. Right. Uh, but as it sits right now, it still looks like a great game, especially if you did not get in on the Marvel Zombies train. All right, and for our last project that we've got, we're looking at Stonefold Kingdoms, magnetic dungeons and foldable RPG terrain. Uh, I think a couple shows ago we talked about a foldable terrain option. Yeah, it was the pop-up book one. Right, which is really great for a lot of us because it stores really easily. You fold everything down. This is kind of the same sort of thing. They have several different terrain pieces. You can build, you know, build them out or build them up, depending on what you want to do. There are staircases that you can use uh, to make your dungeons, your castles, or whatever, taller. And then a lot of the like walls and the doors and things like that are all magnetic and will click into place. 
I think this one might be a little bit better for people who are looking for larger set pieces. Yeah. Um, there's definitely more that you can do with these. As you said, not only like building it out, but also, you know, height as well. Um, if you want to have a cool, like multi-layered, um, set piece in your dungeon or something like that, uh, this is definitely the way to go. Um, I do like not only the magnetic part of it, but they also have, um, some really cool features with, uh, lighting that you can get as well. Right, and there's looks like several different colors, uh, so you can, you know, if you really want to make it spooky, that dark red or purples or whatever in there, um, they have one that's kind of an ice fortress looking setup, uh, where they've got the blue lights in it that really reflect well. Uh, I think that's just a cool extra little feature uh, that is great when you're running a game and you're wanting your terrain to really stand out. Yeah. Um, they have a bunch of different types of pieces. Um Everything from a dungeon to a port city. Uh, they have a tavern. Um, if you want to buy that, just so you can start all of your adventures in that tavern. Right. Yeah, because that's where they all start. Um, there's like ruins, and there's even like an, an ice fortress type um, setting as well. So a lot of really cool stuff. Um, and the art on it all looks really, really cool. It's in beta still, um, so it's liable to change from like finished product. Um, but I think the magnetic walls being able to like adjust the way the dungeon looks every time, I think is really, really cool. Um, and yeah, just being able to, um, go in and change things, how you need them for your game. Right. It makes it really, um, flexible, really modular. You can move. They, they have some videos of them actually moving, uh, the pieces around and the magnetic pieces are all staying in place. Yeah. Like, it looks really, really good. Yeah, they have a picture where they actually flip it upside down after they've built it, and, like, everything stays right where it needs to be. All right, so here's the way that they're doing their pledges. When you pledge, you don't pledge for a specific uh, piece or a specific set or anything like that. You pledge for credits. The starter tier is $69, and you get four credits to spend. Tier one goes up to eight credits. Uh, tier 2 to 12, tier 3 to 20, uh, tier 4 to 32. So for a tier 2, 12 credits, you're looking at paying 179. Tier 3 is 279. And then tier 4 is 100. And, or sorry, tier 4 is 419. Right. And most of the set pieces um, are look like they're around two credits. So they do have even like a starter set as well for uh, four credits for $69. So kind of like your entry level, it would allow you to get like a couple pieces to be able to do like, you know, one or two sets kind of thing. Um, and right now, as of time of recording, they still have early board, early bird on the tier one credits. So you can actually get a uh, eight credits for $114 um, instead of the standard 129. Just kind of scrolling through what they have available. A lot of their stretch goals are unlocked. Uh, they have, they have your dungeon pretty typical. They have uh, some of the, uh, like the dungeon dark pits, They've got the vaulted forge in the dungeon. That one looks really cool. Uh, they got a lot of the... You get the expansion boards for the magnetics to work. The frozen mountain realm. There's a bunch of different sets in there that you can play on. There's a port city. Yeah, so they, they kind of lay out... I do like the way they have their Kickstarter set up. They kind of show you what like the eight credit tier will get you. Mm -hmm. um, and with the one dungeon, like eight credits will get you almost five feet of dungeon. <laughs> Uh, which is really cool. Um, and there are multiple levels in it kind of thing. So um, the fact that it's modular with the like walls, being able to adjust them and things like that too, um, is fantastic. It shows what each tier kind of will get you. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can do for not a lot of money, especially when you compare this to some of the other like terrain building companies. Oh yeah. Yeah. The light pack is like two credits gets you 18 LEDs and there's a remote for them, uh, which I love that there's the sailing ship. I just, I really like that one. Yeah. Like this is definitely one that I think, um, we might consider looking at picking up at least one of the tiers, um, just because it, it's a very unique system. Um, and while we have kind of converted more to, um, like playing on a screen or a TV, 
Uh, this definitely will add a little more like vertical, you know, height and stuff like that. If we, if we want to add that into it. Yeah. That's, that'll always be good for your final confrontation or your first step into the adventure. Yep. So yeah, they also of course have uh, the pledge manager tier. So you can pledge for a dollar and then when the pledge manager opens up, you can purchase it however you want to. All right, there you go. Three new projects for you to go take a look at and uh, hopefully you find something you like. The dice roll comes to a stop and the color is green. Oh no, both of the green spots are taken. Well, it's time to spin the carousel. As it slows, Monsieur Carousel is pointing at the orange seat with Maya in it. Oh man, what type of seat was that? I I think it's the fire truck. Yes, and with that, the last ray of sunshine is placed, and all of the kids have a great day. For the Dapper Meeple, I'm Josh. And I'm Jim. Good night, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around and listening to our show. If you enjoyed it, let me ask you a favor. Follow us and leave us a like wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have anything to say back to us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for The Dapper Meeple. On Twitter, our handle is at the Dapper Meeple, or email us at dappermeeplegaming at gmail.com. And as always, we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs>